Welcome everyone to episode number 11 of RBM Spokes. I'm your host, James Pizarro. Our guest this week is Ben Needham, who has a background in computer animations as well as set design. If this was not a perfect example why location as well as set design is an important character in our productions, uh, Ben really brings it to light. He's worked with National Geographic as well as uh Lincoln, a uh, Steven Spielberg produced film, uh, and Bennett is a very creative guy, and he's helped build some of our sets as well. And um, I've been lucky to have him on board for many of our our projects. Uh, we're on week three plus of staying home, and as usual, try to keep active and um, trying to keep active and. Also trying to stay creative and positive. This weekend we worked on a small project uh, for web content for Chameleon Tea. Uh, if any of you haven't done tabletop uh, stuff, I've, I found it very challenging. Every frame has to be just right, but uh, it was enjoyable nonetheless. So without any delay, I'd like to introduce Ben Needham. Uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, I have Ben Needham on the show this uh, this afternoon, and uh, he's the owner-operator of Digital, Digital Squirrel Studio. Um, so tell me how that all started, and where'd you come up with that name? Uh, it goes back to a project in grad school. I happened to be in grad school about the same time that animation was becoming a more of a mainstay. And uh, as part of that, um, the first hair plugins came out. This was around the same time around Monsters, Inc. coming out. And, um, and when I got my hands a hold of the, um, the first real hair plugin that was you know, readily available that wasn't proprietary with ILM or Pixar, um, I started playing around with it. And I just happened to make a squirrel um, and it, trying to style the hair around the tail and everything. Um, and that, that ended up, you know, just being a character that I had sitting on, on the wing. So a few years later, when I, um, decided that I was going to start my own studio, I was looking around and ran across that and thought that would be a cool, uh, a cool way to get, um, a, you know, a, a memorable, uh, name. And what it's turned into over the years is a lot of the times people don't necessarily remember my name, but they, but they remember me as that squirrel guy. That's great. How did so? How did you evolve into uh, to doing uh, graphic design or stage design? And one, what what is your background? I started off uh, in undergrad as an engineering student, um, and then what I realized very quickly into undergrad was how much I, uh, you know, really enjoyed the art side of uh, things. So what I love about the design work is all everything I loved about the engineering side, the creativity, the building that. That all stayed, but at the same time, um, I was able to develop, you know, um, on the artistic side as well. Um, it's a much more fast-paced um, process from beginning to end than, than typical engineering projects. Um, and everything I loved about art and engineering just kind of melted together into that. Do you recall your first uh, go at it, and uh, how you how you had your first work? Uh, yeah, my first professional job was back in '97. And it was uh, for the um, Cleveland uh, Jewish Community Center's uh, theater program. Um, and I did a production of Children of Eden. And um, I was very, uh, very green at that point. But what I did find was how much I enjoyed it um, and just poured myself into it. I just happened to, it was all, all the stars aligned on that one. It was a wonderful experience for a first show. And it really kind of solidified that that was the right choice for me. 
So did that evolve then to just you getting a, a, a full-time uh, position? That, that, yeah, that, that evolved into, uh, you know, me officially changing majors to, uh, to theater as an undergrad. Um, and I got a job uh, at a private school uh, kind of running the technical side of the theater program. And, um, and then I went back to grad school uh, in, uh, in Georgia. And technically, my uh, graduate degree is in um, computer animation and scenic design for the performing arts. I've got an MFA in theater with that concentration. And what it's uh, let me do is I have a little niche in the, um, that I was a very early adopter of 3D rendering uh, on the computer. And, um, and that's still primarily how I work. And let's me, you know, give a director, both theater and film, a very realistic uh, representation of what I'm thinking. Um, uh, much more so than, you know, than the feeling that you can get sometimes with, you know, traditional mediums like watercolor or colored pencil or, or such. Well, that's evolved. Certainly. I'm, I'm sure you've seen, if you haven't, um, a cinematography database or Matt Workman's, uh, uh, work that he's done and how he's actually building virtual sets that you can take a, um, you know, I, I don't even know what you'd call it. Is it, it it's like a previous camera and interact yeah. and a, you're actually able to see how things look within a space. Um, how, how have you seen that evolving? Yeah. I mean, it, it has changed, uh, you know, I've been in this 20 plus years now and, um, you know, I've been doing animation for about 22 years now. And um, the the jumps, uh, I mean, it used to be that I, you know, set up a rendering at eight o'clock at night and eight o'clock in the morning, I get to see what I actually have been working on all day. Now I can see in nearly real time, um, <clears throat> similar uh, outcomes to what I could, you know, over, you know, 12 to 24 hour render before, um, you know, and the technology has just gotten better and better. Uh, I'm starting to get into VR so that um, my sets, you can actually, you know, look at through a you know, Oculus headset or even, you know, Google glasses and be able to uh, look around and see, see what's, uh, you know, the set is from different aspects of it, as well as, you know, what the, you know, sitting in the front row or, you know, what the camera position is. So we know, you know, if we're shooting off set from, from this angle or, you know, what, what it actually looks like rather than, you know, just looking at a ground plan and, and guessing. It seems like the sky's the limit that um, I think a lot of companies, instead of spending the money uh, ahead of time, I, I would think that have a value in previs. Uh, it, it's another level beyond storyboarding. I mean, it, it, you can actually tell uh, what lights you're going to use and what equipment you're going to need or how you're going to uh, pre-block actors, which I imagine would be a huge t time saving. It, it, it is a time and a cost saving thing. Um, I mean, especially if you're, if you're trying to figure out, you know, what's the fastest way to do something, um, you know, I did a project for a TV show a few years back where, you know, I spent two days um, creating a 3D model of about four rooms, um, whereas, you know, then we were able to actually come up with camera positions in there and see, you know, in relationship to, you know, one room, how much we saw into another. Um, and, you know, prior to any construction being done. Um, so it really gives the director and the cinematographer a, a chance to really see what the environment's going to be um, and start working on their work ahead of time as well. Uh, there's still nothing quite the same as having, you know, the real world to uh, just uh, be in, but we're able to come up with a really realistic facsimile. 
how did that evolve into getting in with the bigger shows and TV, such as Turn and and Killing Kennedy series uh, through National Geographic and uh, and um, I think there was a whole thing, Killing Kennedy, Killing Lincoln, um, and uh, yeah, I, how did how did you get involved in that? Yeah, it was uh, you know it was thank uh, thankful to a lot of people that I'd worked with that um, had enjoyed working with me that pulled me on to some of these other projects. Um, and, you know, ironically, the, the first mo- true movie I worked on was the Spielberg Lincoln movie. Um, I'd done so- some little work here and there, but as far as like a, a large scale uh, movie and, um, you know, being able to work with Rick Carter, who won the Academy Award for the production design on that was, uh, you know, an unbelievable experience. Um, and, yeah, and it was quick. I think I, I only worked on the film for eight days, but, um, but it was eight very long days and very exciting. Um, and then to be able to see, you know, the, um, when they did the announcement that Rick Carter had won in the, the show reel that was going up as he's walking up, um, you know, the first clip was of the boat that I had worked on uh, and I had done all the previs on that. Um, it was really uh, an amazing opportunity. I didn't get to see the boat in person for a few years. Um, cause most of the work I do is remote, which is the other kind of little niche that I've run into is, you know, I don't really need to be on site for a lot of this work. Um, which saves production and companies um, costs, as well as I tend to work, you know, an opposite shift of them. So in the morning, they've got a whole set of new renderings uh, and draftings to look at. Um, I do my day job and then four o'clock rolls around and I get to switch gears and work uh, late again. So what part do you find you're enjoying the most? Is it, is it the pre-production side? Um, uh, because it's not only, you're not only using these just for, uh, uh, pre uh, pre viz, you're actually using those to to visualize the actual sets, um, isn't that right? Yes, I, typically my work, um, it, my computer work isn't um, what ends up making it on screen. Like if they're going to, you know, um, have a special effects shot or that, it's usually going to a production house. I'm usually just a concept artist um, in in that regards. But I also then take the concept art and then um, oftentimes I will draft it out so that it can be constructed um, by the build crew that's on location. Um, and then that, that aspect obviously is seen, uh, seen on stage uh, or on screen rather. Well, how do you see this then eventually evolving for, for your type of work? Where do you think most of the work is? Um, and I'm sure you've thought about that. Who's going to be reaching out to you to, uh, to conceptualize some of these uh, projects and I, you know, content will be more important than ever. I would think. Yeah, I, I think where we're going to see this going. I mean, as the technology gets um, better and better, um, you know, what we can produce, you know, I, what I can produce now is way uh, more efficient as well as um, fast and realistic than I could, you know, two years ago, three years ago. Um, you know, I have a workhorse computer that's able to, you know, punch a lot of polygons out really quickly. But at the same time, you know, it, it's figuring out how to efficiently do it. Um, because in the film industry, everything's about time. Um, you know, it's frustrating because there, there's many times where I'd love to be working and there's nothing to work on. And then all of a sudden there's, oh, we need all this by, you know, 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. Um, and that just seems to be the nature of the beast. Um, but I do think that you're going to see a lot more online content. Um, I mean, we're already seeing that a lot more virtual reality. Um, as that technology becomes more readily accessible, um, I mean, there's some amazing stuff out there right now, but it hasn't quite hit, you know, its stride in the market uh, for everyday um, 
So I, I think you're going to see more and more of that. And the wonderful thing with, you know, computer renderings is, you know, we can make them full, fully immersive 360 degree environments. Um, and you're going to see the resolution is just going to get better and better. Um, I've done a few um, of the VR companies uh, where you actually go and wear a headset and, you know, can walk fr- freely around a room. And really, I, there's some amazing stuff out there, but the limitation right now is, you know, is the re- resolution, you know, and the real time, um, real time playback of it. Uh, so I, I'm very excited to see how that gets better and better and better. I don't know if you've seen uh, The Mandalorian and how they've used yeah. uh, virtual sets and things that they weren't able to do before they're actually able to do. And I, I, I found, I, I think I watched the behind the scenes or listened to how they designed some of those sets. And it's, it, the sky's the limit. These are virtual sets that um, actors can interact freely in. Isn't that, isn't that correct? Yeah. Well, I, and their use of digital projections uh, for backdrops and that. I mean, it, it's absolutely stunning what they're able to do um, now, you know, and completely believable. Um, you know, that line between CG and real is getting, you know, fainter and fainter. Um, I mean, they will never, I don't think, ever replace each other. But what you can get away with is absolutely amazing compared to what you used to be able to get away with. I would think even that, you know in visiting in visiting some of the you know '90s movies and lately you know being locked up, um, it it's kind of amazing to see you know the um, you know what what was possible back then that is not now. I was just going to say some of the things you see, you wonder how they actually uh, how it actually passed muster and yeah. executives to to show on a big screen because they 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 simply look just terrible, and things that you yeah. could do at home now. Um, and, and build and, and build an interactive environment is, is pretty amazing. You know, you talked about a day job. So what is your day job? My day job is I work for a performing arts academy um, and that's based out of Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Uh, we are a collection of 10 different school districts, 11 high schools total that send their students to us to study for half of a day, uh, five days a week for their junior and senior years. The academy is uh, currently in its 12th year. Um, we are at, to prepare students for careers in the entertainment field. Um, I'm primarily involved in, um, in the design technical side of it, um, which we have a, uh, a number of students that are dedicated to their studies to that. Um, and then we have a number of students that are interested in the acting performance side. So over the course of two years, we expose them to everything from history to filmmaking to um, improv um, and give them a sampling um, and, you know, and give, let the students kind of figure out for themselves what, what they're interested in. Um, you know, what's wonderful is we have a lot of students that come to us that may not have any desire necessarily to be in the performing arts. They just really haven't found a place where they fit in. And, um, and, you know, theater tends to attract the misfits. I, I, I will gladly say that I am one of those misfits. Um, and, you know, the sense of ensemble that we have out there is absolutely wonderful. Uh, we have a number of, uh, students that, um, currently are very successful that are, you know, on Broadway tours. Um, or on TV shows. Um, in our 12 years, you know, we've put through quite a number of students and not, and the majority actually don't go on to careers in, in theater. But what we also do is we teach, um, life skills and that we teach them how to, uh, speak in public. We teach them how time management. Um, theater itself, you know, is probably one of the best features of time management because 
you know, opening night very seldom um, is, is, is changed at all. Um, you know, I've had a few shows canceled recently, but I think everything's been canceled. But opening night typically is always coming, whether you're ready or not. So having the time management skills to make sure that you are ready for an audience uh, on opening night, whether that's, you know, being prepared on stage or, you know, having a finished set ready to go, finished lighting. So in, uh, in their two years with us, we, we teach them uh, a number of different skills that are applicable to way more than just the entertainment field. I think that's, uh, that's fantastic. As a matter of fact, I think it was the other week where I was watching an episode of Law & Order, and I go, I know that guy. <laughs> so I think <laughs> yeah, you, yes. you know who I'm talking about. And, uh, I, I know exactly <laughs> who you're talking about. Um, and it's good to see that he's doing, I think he's done a, quite a number of things then. Yes. Yeah. The one since that you've talked about has been in a uh, number of uh, TV shows as well as uh, was on Broadway for a while. That's fantastic. The, do you still get excited with opening night? Does that still, uh, uh, you still get the butterflies and, and uh, there's nothing like live performance versus anything yeah, else I can imagine. I think I, I'm in the minority and that I, you know, that's not where I find the fun. Like I find the fun, you know, getting it ready and getting it going. And then, then I'm, I'm very happy to walk away. Uh, in fact, I, I'm not a big fan of seeing my own shows. Um, I'm always ready for the next one. You know, my fun is in the creativity of it, uh, not necessarily you know, sitting there and watching at the end. Um, even, you know, the TV shows and that, there are many that I haven't actually watched every episode that I've worked on, um, partly because I'm just usually so busy. But, um, you know, I find the joy in, in the creation of it, not necessarily, you know, sitting down and watching it. There are some times, uh, you know, that I've been to an opening night and, you know, and watching an audience's reaction, especially if it's a show that I'm really, you know, close to. But most of the time, uh, you know, that you know, a few a few days before, I'm ready to move on to the next project. Um, when I'm happy with what I see on stage, then I'm I'm happy to go on. What do you think that's a function of when a, a lot of people who work in the arts are kind of over it once they've once they've done their job, they they see it and they're they're proud of it, but they certainly are not just going to look back and and just. Um, I guess, uh, uh, hover over it. Yeah. I, I think part of it's uh, the necessity of, you know, the, other, the next paycheck's always coming around and you need to start focusing on that. I mean, it really is a job. It's some, it's a job I absolutely adore, but in the end it is a job, you know, and, and having a free night and going to the theater, you know, it's not something that I want to necessarily do all the time. Not to mention, you know, I average probably 35 to 40 shows a year. Um, that's a lot of opening nights to go to. Um, you know, I think my record is 65 shows in one year. Um, and that's not including TV shows and, um, and films and such, but, um, it's just a lot of time. And there are a few that I, you know, I'm very close to and very proud of and that I will make, you know, make sure that I can go see how an audience feels. Um, but for the most part, I, I think, you know, it's always, you're, you're looking at it as, okay, well, what's next on the docket? Well, you have another passion, and that's immersive theater. And as a matter of fact, you're on your, uh, I think you're working on your third now. I know you've gotten two un under your belt. So do you want to talk about that and how you got uh, started in that? Yes. Um, so I would say that that is really what my passion is right now. Um, I, I still love the design and all that, but this is <laughs> my passion being, you know, it's something I love to do that there's no money in at the moment. Um, perhaps, but the, um, what I absolutely adore about immersive theater is it's taking that's uh, the storytelling that I love as a, a designer 
to a whole different level. Um, so for those of you not familiar with immersive theater, it's, it is a, a active participation medium versus a passive. So instead of being an audience member sitting in a uh, theater watching a show, you're actually living in that same world. Um, now, there's so many different varieties and different things that you know are called immersive and not necessarily, you know, in my eyes, are truly immersive. But we've done, uh, my company, uh, Shadow of the Run, uh, was founded, um, I think we're going on about four years now, uh, and there are um, four co-creators. Myself, um, Adam Kern, who originally had the brain uh, brainchild of Let's Do This, uh, Beth McGee, who is our writer, um, myself, and then Christine Woods, who is our escape designer and interactive designer. Um, and the four of us really found that we really love this medium as a storytelling. Um, you know, I mean, it all comes down to storytelling, whether I'm designing a set or we're designing an immersive theater production. And after, um, you know, a few years of development, trying to get a, a very large show off the ground, we um, last summer decided that we scale back and try to get something much smaller off the ground, which ended up in the end not being small at all. We ended up with 21 actors and nine audience members. And uh, we were doing 11 shows a night with uh, 14 different tracks. It was a, a logistical nightmare, but it was also so rewarding. So um, our specific storylines follow the Cleveland Torso Killer from the 1930s. Um, that was, uh, you know, the arch nemesis of uh, Elliot Ness. And uh, following kind of his uh, rise um, and hopefully fall um, through a series of shows. So last summer we did a show called Wonderlust. Um, which uh, followed the story of his first victim, uh, who was, wasn't attributed until uh, after the fact, um, known as the Lady of the Lake. And we came up with a fictionalized historical story around, because she was a Jane Doe, um, that allowed us to kind of give, you know, a, a story to a, you know, a victim that no one knows anything about. Um, and then uh, more recently in January, we did a show that was outdoors in Cleveland in January um, that was a 20-minute production uh, written and directed by Christine Woods called Railroaded. And it was a, um, it was a, a continuation, a little bit different style, um, much smaller than that it was 20 minutes and four actors. But what it did was it gave everyone a very personalized experience. One of the things that draws people into immersive are these, um, are these chances to go and see something that no one else gets to see. So having a one-on-one -on -one experience with a character that, you know, you get every, the goal, or at least our goal is everyone should get a great story from it, but it's not going to be the same story. And it also gives you the chance to come back again and see it um, differently. So if you think of like a choose your own adventure, sometimes the choices are made for you. Sometimes you actually get the choices in immersive, but it, what it does is it gives you, you know, a, a chance to play around in this world. Um, and depending on how immersed you actually want to be, um, we are very fortunate to be able to partner with the city of Bedford and use a number of historical um, spaces that are actually from the time period. Um, you know, to be able to sh set a show inside of an actual historical train station uh, was a wonderful opportunity for us. Um, and uh, from a design point, you know, how can you beat the production design of using an actual train uh, station from, you know, the late 1800s? Um, when you're trying to do a show, um, it's a period piece. So, well, having experienced um, having experienced it, I agree uh, that that uh, is is as important as anything to really feel that you were you know fully immersed not only by uh, the characters but also the location. 
You're well, saying? And especially in immersive theater, you know, the, the location is a character uh, within there um, because you are trying to transport people into into a world that, you know, many people don't re- remember what 1930s Cleveland was like. Um, and to be able to put someone into a into a location and make it a believable one, um, you know, and there's there's something kind of magical. I, I'm a big fan of time travel um, genre to begin with. And and in many ways, it's, it's kind of what it feels like. Who uh, and I know you've seen you've seen a lot of uh, different uh, presentations of this. You've traveled all over the country and uh, have seen what you think are good or bad or kind of in between. Who does it the best? I, I mean, there are many out there. I, I think that the two that I would gravitate to uh, one is um, one called Ben Fell in, um, in New York. Uh, it's in Brooklyn. It's a two-hour adventure where you are in an insane asylum with the characters from um, Alice in Wonderland and, um, and being able to see kind of their interaction, their, uh, you know, uh, their stories within there. Um, uh, it's, it's just an absolutely, it, it's dance-based as well. It's a beautiful, emotional, moving evening. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I've seen it twice. Uh, I would gladly go back and see it a third time uh, without any hesitation. And then um, out in LA, there's one called The Nest. Um, and what's unique about that is there's no actors involved. Um, and it is a, kind of a story um, that unfolds through um, audio cassettes and, a, and an old audio cassette player. Um, and it's absolutely stunning. I, I saw a earlier version of it. Um, and unfortunately, I was supposed to go last weekend and see see the new version while I was out in LA, but um, that's been postponed uh, at least until fall, if not later. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how they've upscaled that to a, a, an actual storage unit. Um, uh, but it's, it was such an emotionally moving uh, experience that um, it's really hard to describe. And that's one of the great things about these are, you know, as soon as, you know, two people come out of it, them going, oh, what did you see? <laughs> and comparing experiences. Um, when we did a show last, uh, the one last summer, the show was 90 minutes long and we had people that would go to the bar next door for three hours and try to piece together, you know, the 14 different storylines that were out there. That, I mean, that's, that certainly is, um, I, I could see that. Where do you think the challenge is with, um, it, it, I would imagine there's that, uh, so-called law of diminishing returns. You want to make these as realistic as possible. You want to have as many great actors or characters interacting. That that requires capital. Where does it, where does that balance occur? Where you go, I, I can make this work, um, and has that been proven to work in the past? Where you can balance uh, uh, the the economics of it versus the art of it. Uh, as you know, they make movies for hundreds of millions of dollars, or at least you know, several million dollars and they know they still make a profit. How do you translate that and be able to bring this art up and still make it uh, uh, financially uh, feasible? Well, and that, that's definitely, you know, a challenge with this. Um, and that's why I would describe this as a passion project right now. I mean, the amount of hours I've put into it uh, certainly, you know, don't equate to, you know, the amount of money that I've made on, on these in return. But, um, but, there's something pretty magical about it that I'm willing to, you know, um, you know, throw in the time um, and see, you know, what I can create. Um, our, our biggest challenge in Cleveland is, you know, when I do one of these in LA or New York, it, it can easily be a $200 ticket. 
And no one's coming to a $200 immersive theater show at this point in Cleveland. So trying to make it an affordable um, experience for us, um, but also something that, you know, that we're not losing money on as well. We've been fortunate that we've sold um, over 80% um, of our available tickets on the last two shows. So there's clearly a market for it. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see with the, um, the current situation. Once, once a new normality starts uh, setting in, um, you know, if people are going to be interested in going out and spending money on, on things like theater, uh, and entertainment. Um, and, and if so, you know, what kind of ticket price, you know, will this market bear? Uh, we did have a show planned for the summer that's probably been postponed at least until fall. Uh, that's, that's a different kind of, it's in the same world as the rest of our shows, but it's kind of a different format. Uh, we've been experimenting with different formats throughout. We're actually planning a, um, uh, an online, um, production that'll, um, hopefully go up end of April, early May that we'll be putting more information out, uh, that, um, you know, do, uh, while we're all sitting around, we wanted to, you know, continue to create We're we're all storytellers by nature. Um, and we've got what I think is kind of a cool take on, you know, what's available out there. Um, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, it's a chance for us to kind of experiment. And that's really what these last few shows have been is us experimenting with different things to see what audiences like, uh, what we enjoy creating. And so far we've been, you know, very happy with the, the outcome. So is that how you've been stretching your, um, your creative, uh, muscles, so to speak during the, the time of quarantine? I mean, you're trying to not only uh, do that, is there anything else you're, you're, uh, um, kind of, uh, sprucing up on or, or kind of reading yeah, up well, on and I'm, getting better at? There's, there's some, uh, there's some 3d software out there that I've been trying to teach myself for a few years now. And, and I ha- have this wonderful luxury of time. You know, I went from, you know, being a person that works 18 hours a day, uh, to having this amazing amount of free time on my hands um, that I'm certainly not used to, but um, but trying to utilize that. So I, I am actually very excited to kind of add some more tools to my arsenal um, and and see what I can you know use those for. There's a lot of technology out there because because I'm kind of a one man band in many ways. Um, you know I I do what I know and I do do it fairly well I believe, but um, I don't necessarily have to keep up on some of the other things that are coming out as different brands and such. So this is a chance for me to kind of get up to speed on some things that I've been interested in, but haven't necessarily had a need to to push into. So I'm excited to spend some time in some software that I, I know that I love. <laughs> I just don't know how to use it yet. So, um, you know, the, the animation software is no, not always the most intuitive, um, but it, it's amazing what is out there. Um, and I'm hoping to be able to kind of you know build that into my offerings as well of that and i also am looking at trying to get more into the the vr world and and, uh, you know creating environments that not only are you know um uh, images that you can look around but also environments you can move around so that's that's my other little pet project over the next you know few weeks to few months depending on how this goes see i can definitely see that um uh, expanding into the, the work we do uh, as filmmakers where, you know, you even see it every day when you see behind the scenes, whether it be through green screen or through projection. Um, there, 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 there's quite a few things. Like you said, it may never replace it, but it, it sure is a great substitute. And you could get into worlds that you could never dream of getting into. Um, 
you did a spaceship uh, just recently and, you know, were able to kind of uh, convincingly uh, kind of defy gravity and uh, just by being clever uh, with some of those things. And, and that was pretty much done practically. Yeah. Um, yeah. The project you're talking about is one that my students actually did as a student film that um, was a 10 minute sci-fi silent film. Um, we'd studied um, Buster Keaton and, um, and, you know, his art of the gag, um, trying to come up with a way that we could, you know, make that into a modern uh, telling and ended up coming up with this um, space uh, um, situation that kind of goes awry. And most of our effects were practical. We had some green screen work in there and such, um, but you know it was it was student film with you know uh, seven filmmakers, um, one of which was the star of it, and you know they had three weeks to shoot uh, and four weeks of prep uh, spread throughout, um, and they built a, a spaceship, <laughs> um, and we we kept on reconfiguring the same thing to give the sense of it having a much much larger scale to it, um, and what was wonderful was seeing the students really kind of latch on to it and you know after we got up and going realizing you know the problem solving aspect of it you know if this isn't working and we need to solve it right now because we've got you know everyone standing around waiting on it how do we do that um, and we we used a lot of cheats we you know we used three wild walls that were in probably every scene just in a different configuration in every scene um, because we just didn't have the budget to build full sets so we just continued to, you know, um, adjust so that every time, you know, we weren't shooting off the set, we, you know, we could just drop a wall in where we needed it. Um, so it was really fun to see them, uh, how proud they were of, uh, of the work that they did too. Um, and I think that's one of the great things with especially young filmmakers, you know, you set out to do one thing and, and kind of what it ends up being, you know, may not be what you were intending, but, it, you know, but the process and the experience. Um, and I was very proud of the work that they did in the end. So Ben, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I look forward to uh, working with you again and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. It was great um, getting a chance to catch up with you. Thanks Ben for coming on. And if you haven't had a chance, please check out his site, shadowoftherun.com. Thanks for listening. I look forward to seeing you next week. Hang in there and stay positive.